when you hire somebody, it's not as easy as just going, right, goodbye, all clients. You've now got a member of staff that's managing your ads and see you later. It was a slow process to sort of initially introduce the member of staff, have them sort of working as a, an assistant, and then slowly over time, they might take over some of the phone calls. And if I go on holiday, they can then step up and slowly but surely I sort of removed myself from the management of any client accounts. And then when you achieve that, then you can just work on the business. Gavin Bell is the director of a multi-award winning PPC agency called Yatter. And Yatter helps brands increase revenue and profit through the likes of Facebook and Google ads. But I think you're doing TikTok as well now, aren't you? Yeah, we do basically advertising across any of the channels. Okay. They currently manage over 10 million in client advertising spend per year, which is amazing. Absolutely amazing. But I want to take you back to when you first started. Have you been sort of up and running for about seven years, is it? Yeah, that's about right, yeah. And I would like you to sort of maybe give us some essential lessons that you've learned in your business journey that you would like to pass on to the listeners. Yeah, I think the the first one that comes to my head is I've always been somebody that sort of, I find I'm a problem solver. So I come across a problem and I look for a solution. And um, one of the first problems I came across when I had just got started was I built up a, a base of clients and I was busy. I was busy. So I had no time to work on the business. I was just solely working on on helping my clients. And so I, I was like, ah, a problem. I've got clients. So I, uh, and then I jumped to the conclusion of, right, well, let's build courses and a membership site to try and, you know, that's more scalable. So we did that. We spent a couple of years doing that and we built that up to about 120 members or so. But it got to a point where I was going, we're not really making any money in this. And the real money in this space in the advertising game is to actually do the services for people. Okay. And so what I wished, what I had done and what we did around two years ago was created a brand, which is now Yatter. I was sort of operating under my own personal brand before. And then solve the problem of being too busy by hiring people. The lesson in that is I think... When you've got a problem, rather than just immediately jumping to a solution, is spending a little bit of time to actually figure out whether the solution and the road you're going down is the right solution to the problem. And I think what it takes to know that is to have a solid plan of where you're going. So what's my five-year plan, 10-year plan? Because if I, if I had known what I know now back then, I wouldn't have built the courses in the membership site. I would have gone straight to hiring a team and growing it as an agency. Um, we would have had a lot more years of growing and building an agency than than I have had. Um, and we're a team of 10 now, so we've had a fast growth. So I sort of look back and go, you know, if we'd had seven years of that fast growth, that would have been that would have been a really nice sized business right now. So I think there's a there's a lot of talk in the in the business world of making decisions fast, but I think there's also a lot to be said for making decisions slowly as well. It's a sort of fine balance of fast decision-making and slow decision-making. Yeah. A lot of people would say, I mean, how, how did you find that hiring 
because I think that's always quite scary, isn't it? Hiring your hiring staff and um, finding the staff. How did you find that? The, to hire the first member of staff was really sort of quite daunting for me because I always I was always looking at it as oh this this is another 20, 30 grand outgoings yeah. to the business. Yeah. Uh, whereas I had a conversation with somebody that has a a large agency, hundred people agency, and they said to me actually the the risk is only for their salary for three months because they're on probation. So if they don't pass their probation and they don't bring in their revenue, then you can get rid of that person. So if that person is on, say, two grand a month, the total risk to you is, is six grand. grand. Yeah. And I was going, you know what? That's actually, you know, I can stomach that. So I then brought somebody on and and well, did I know that three months on they were they were bringing in the money that, that I needed them to bring in. And then I think so that that first person that, that I brought in was sort of had a tiny little bit of experience. And so I was able to mold them into the employee that I needed them to be. Yeah. Since then, as we've grown as an agency, the need has been to find more experienced people. And that's that's been slightly more challenging, especially with COVID and and people now working from home. The competition to find the right member of staff has gone from being people in our local radius to across the country yeah. because agencies in London, for example, can can hire people in Scotland and vice versa. So there's a the the pool of opportunity for employees is a lot larger than than I think it was a few years ago. And did you have any problems about letting go, delegating, sort of saying to them, will you do it? And then letting them do it. <laughs> I think, um I have no problems delegating, I think, because I the the doing of the client work, I had reached the point in my career when I was I was done doing that. My my passion yeah. is building the business. So delegating yeah. was fine. I think the thing I struggle, probably still struggle with to this day is get being okay with the work not being up to my standard. I think it's it's um I think it was Gary Vaynerchuk that I saw where he was talking about hiring this exact same sort of mental block that founders have. And he was saying, you know, if you think your work is a 10, 10 out of 10, you have to be okay with employees being an 8 out of 10 or 7 out of 10. You can't ever expect somebody to be up to your standard and you have to be okay with that. Um, So I think that's been the struggle for me is, is being okay, seeing things being done the way that I wouldn't do them. Yeah. And I suppose as long as you have sort of, tools in place to sort of highlight problem areas when they or problems when they come up so that you you're not sort of like three four months down the line and you're thinking oh my god that person's been struggling and I didn't even realize that person was struggling sort of thing yeah it comes down to management it's how, how do you how do you manage that person so ensuring there's quality control procedures ensuring that they've got you know regular one-on-ones so that you can make sure that there's still a, an oversight of the work that they're doing. And we're at a point now where I've been able to manage people to do that for me. And so I'm not having to keep an eye. But yeah, just ensuring that there's one one of the things I'm I'm I like to do is try and always build process around things like that so that when you're doing one-on-ones or you're you're doing some quality control checks, it's it's systemized and objective rather than subjective. Because if yeah. something's subjective, then it becomes a little bit emotional and and people can see you as attacking them as opposed to the work that's been done. So yeah. 
that's helped me. Yeah. I mean, you you talked about decisions, about taking some time um, making decisions, and you've talked about procedures and things. So it sounds like over the years that you've spent some time building up procedures and taking time to work in the business, on the business, not in the business. And I think most um, small businesses have a problem with that because they'll go, well, that's great, but if I don't work in the business, I'm not going to make any money. So where the hell am I going to find time to work on the business? And how did you juggle that? Because that must have been a problem for you when you first started. Yeah, so it's obviously there's a... So with what we do, it's, it's essentially we've got clients, we manage their ads for them. So when I was a one-man band, I was working with a, a number of clients, running their ads, doing their weekly calls, all that sort of stuff that comes with um, with what we do. So that initial step of stepping out, and, and when you're doing that, there has to be a balance of you doing working in and on the business. What I found it to be was just finding the way that I managed my time back then was I would have three days of client work and two days of business work. So I'd, I'd check in on clients Monday, Wednesday, Friday on the business, Tuesday, Thursday. That's just the way that I, I did it. And I tried to put in systems or or sort of rules to my working week where I wouldn't take any calls on a Friday and I'd try and not have any meetings on a Monday as well. So that sort of then blocked out time to allow me to focus on things that I needed to focus on. And then when you hire somebody, what I found was it's not it's not as easy as just going, right, goodbye, all clients. You've now got a member of staff that's managing your ads and see you later. There had to be a it was a slow process to sort of initially introduce the member of staff, have them sort of working as a an assistant, and then slowly over time they might take over some of the phone calls. If I go on holiday, they can then step up. And slowly but surely I sort of removed myself from the management of any client accounts. And then when you achieve that, then you can just work on the business. And there still is obviously elements of working in the business, but you just have to, as a leader and a, a business owner, when you've got a member, when you've got a team, it's it's your role to work on the business. Because if you're not working on the business, the business isn't going to grow. And and there's people that are relying on the business growing for them to put, put food on the table at the end yeah. of the month. So yeah. You have to be you have to be strict and disciplined. So you've got ten members of staff just now. Do they all work? I mean, obviously you must have office space because there's photographs and things on the website, which looks like there's an office of some sort. Do they all come in and work in the office, or do some of them work exclusively at home? How does that work? So we, we've a, we've gone for a hybrid approach. So we um, are a remote most of the time, but we have a an in office stay on a Thursday. So everyone works from home Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday and in the office, which is in Dunfermline on a Thursday. We've got one member of staff who is based down in, in London, so she obviously can't make it to the office on a Thursday and that's totally fine. So we find the hybrid approach works really nicely because you get the mixture of the convenience of working from home, which for me, I find it a lot more productive because I can just wake up and get to work. Yes, but you've got the in-person contact time with people for meetings, collaboration, creating content, that sort of um, that sort of work. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Working from home is brilliant. When I first started, I thought, well, I'll work from home to start with, and then I'll get a little office. 
But then when I looked at little offices and I thought how much rent they cost me, I thought, what am I doing that for when I can work from home? Seems yeah. silly. It's crazy and, that you, you're thousand pounds a month to for a, a cupboard in the city centre and you yeah. pay that and then you've got your travel time in and out and yeah. your lunch costs. It's, it's, it's doesn't ridiculous. make a lot of sense. Yeah. And COVID for all it did, the great thing was Zoom calls. Because before COVID, I would go and visit clients. So I would physically, you know, go to wherever they were, which maybe took me half an hour to quarters of an hour for an hour's meeting, half an hour to quarters of an hour. So it was virtually a morning spent, but you could only charge the client for the hour. And Zoom calls, <laughs> plus now everything's done on Zoom. Really? So... COVID may have been not great, but it was great for Zoom calls. Totally so, we've, yeah, we've learned a little bit about the past. What about the present? How is the business at the moment and where are you going? What are you still learning? You talked about your five-year plan, your 10-year plan. What about your the next three months, the next six months sort of thing? Yeah, and we'll, we're quarter four, so... The next three months for us are the busiest period of the year because we've got things. It's busy for two reasons. One, the the clients that we have um, or in the advertising space in general, quarter four is the busiest period because you've got Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Thanksgiving for the American clients, and then obviously the, the festive period. So there's a lot of work that goes into getting creative, mocking up ads, all these sorts of things, planning in quarter four for us. So that's that's really exciting. And it's also extremely busy for us because we find that a lot of new clients come to us in quarter four. There's a lot of budgeting going on. So they're finalizing budgets for, for next year. And so they want to find agencies before the end of the year. I think uh, people get to this time of year and they start thinking about what their goals are for the next year. And so advertising is sort of one of those things. So it's very really, really busy for us at this time of year which is exciting. Quarter one is also extremely busy for us. So the next six months are sort of head down, head down, just working through the work that that comes in. And then quarter two, quarter three, sort of quieter for us. We spend that time developing processes, systems, looking at team changes. We need to hire more people for for the next quarter. But the goals for the company for us, so we, we we actually sat down middle of this year we like to get a team together everybody together for a team day out once a quarter and so in on those quarter days we take the team out have a have a laugh but we also spend the time sort of strategizing where we're going as a business and the goal for us quite simply in the next 12 months is to to be seen and to become the best agency in scotland okay. the best advertising agency in scotland and we've got sort of metrics that we want to try and um prove for that things like management under uh spend under management reviews that sort of idea then next three years for us is to do the same but for the uk so to become well known in the uk and then 10 year long-term plan is to to grow that out to the to the us we've got a few us clients just now but we want to start to really make inroads into into the larger market there so we've sort of we've got our target set and we're now just doing everything that we can to to push towards that. That sounds great. I have a theory about businesses. 
and there's different sort of levels of business. And to me, you sound like you're a lifestyle business where it's lots of fun. The business isn't too big. You've only got 10 employees. It's got a life of its own. You you work as the owner-director are reasonable hours, get reasonable money out of the business, but there is um, an element where you can walk away and the business still operates as a business. Is that Would you say that's right? Yeah, we're at a point where... For example, I've just been on on pat leave for for um, six weeks, and the business operated totally without me. So, yeah, yeah. And goals outside the business, because I know you're you're getting more involved with property and property development. Is that something that you would like to sort of develop? Yeah, it's um, it's a funny one because the so we built up a small portfolio of a few properties, but the Scottish government have sort of changed our mind on um that business where the plan was to to continue to build a portfolio the scottish government have made it difficult for that to be a worthwhile business model so we're looking at things like commercial property now okay and i think longer term for me getting into the property development space is quite an interesting one for me so Definitely in property, it's a, it's a hobby for, for me and my wife. We've sort of stayed in a property for a year, flipped it, done a, done another one up, and we've done that a few times. And we've, now, we've got a place out um, in the country, which is, we bought it fallen to bits. So that'll be a, a much longer job for us. But yeah, property is a passion and also a business. But despite the Scot- so despite the Scottish government, we're making a business out of it, but we're slightly changing our tax from buy-to-lets to looking at commercial property. Okay, okay. Buy-to-lets aren't worth it, are they? Is that because of the, the rental? What, they're putting restrictions on the rental and things? There's just a few. It's it's one of those where, as an entrepreneur, I'm, I'm looking at what are the best models in, in business right now, and I just don't think property is buy-to-let property is the way to go, where you've got rules around rent yeah rental you can't put the rent up if somebody stops paying their mortgage you can't kick them out no if you're if you're buying a property now in scotland you've got six percent ads yeah so they've just they've just made it harder and harder and, and i can't see them changing their tact on it the way that the economy and everything's going so yeah it's just i i, I often look at it and go you know if it was a marketing agency and the government turned around and said you're not allowed to put your prices up and if uh um, you know, a client starts costing you money or whatever, you have to continue to service them. It's, you would, you would just, you wouldn't touch the industry. So I just look at it and I just think it's not, it's not, it's not, it's, it's a good, it's a good, it can be a good business model for long term wealth, but for short term cash flow, it's not, it's not a good model in my yeah. opinion. I think flipping it when you, I mean, I, I used to live in London, and that's how you used to do it in London. You started off with a a bed sit sort of thing. You did it up and then you flipped it and then you bought a one-bedroom flat and you flipped it. And that's when you ended up with a really nice house and a really nice area. But that was the only way to do it. I think it's maybe a bit more difficult now for people just even getting onto the property market. And I, I do know somebody who is in property and does deal with commercial and buy to let. And he is the biggest moan out. He moans all the time about 
commercial property as well. I don't believe a word of it. I don't do his books. I don't do his accounts. So I don't really know how he does. But whenever I meet him socially, he's always moaning about, you know, he's never making any money and he's got all these expenses and banks make it really difficult for him and blah, 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 blah. Well, that's, that's another one, interest rates. Yeah, I forgot to mention that one. Yeah, yeah. So you've said you set goals, which is great, because I think that's something that small business owners should be doing and they should be doing on a regular basis. And I would think the majority of them probably might set goals for the next year, but they don't go further than that because it's it's a bit like um, doing a budget for five years. You just don't know what's going to happen. You haven't drilled it down to exact, but you have a vague idea of where you're going to go. Is that right? Yeah, my my, my opinion on it is that I don't like to set long term specific goals because I want to have a, I want to have flexibility in that. What what we do is is set a long term long term being you know three five ten year vision of yeah. ultimately what we want to achieve, and then. I break that down into the next 12 months. What are the goals over the next 12 months? Break that down into quarterly. So what do we want to achieve in the next quarter? Break that down into monthly and then break that down into weekly. And then again, break that down into, right, these are the daily yes. tasks yes. that we need to achieve. And it, if you're if you're hitting your goals on a, on a daily basis, it should then couple up to the, you know, the annual vision and therefore the larger vision of the organisation. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that's what you should be doing. And I try to say to my clients, even if you just look at the next 90 days of the next three months, set some goals for the next three months and then break them down into months, break them down into weeks and then break them down into daily. And I try to say to them, schedule your calendar so that you're actually blocking off time to work on those goals every day. So tell me, do you ever feel overwhelmed? Do you ever get to the stage where you think, oh, my God? <laughs> I definitely get the feeling of, oh, my God. I don't I don't think I ever get overwhelmed because I love it. I love the game of business. And I think if, if I ever have free time, which I have less of now that we've got a daughter, and yes. I would fill that free time with a business hobby of some sort, whether okay. it's uh, reading a book, doing a course, setting up a side business. I, I, I'm always, it's, um, yeah, business is my passion. So I don't think I ever feel overwhelmed. I, I get annoyed, annoyed and pissed off and definitely get that, oh my God, what am I doing feeling? But I wouldn't say overwhelmed. Okay. Okay. How do you cope with that then when you're having a day like that? What do you do? So I always think that there's a there's a level of stress that's probably is healthy and I and I need. So I, I thrive off having a, a little bit of stress. And the days where the stress gets too much uh or or to a point that's probably not enjoyable, then I just almost just what I said there, I take the time, I look at what what did I set out as my goals for today? And and I I use a tool called Asana for um task management so i've always got a to-do list and i just i just break it down right what's the next thing that i need to do am i am i actually going to do this today yes or no and then if i can do it today 
I go and I get it done. If I can't, then it gets scheduled to another day. So I just take a, a practical approach to it and just just do what you need to do. That's You don't sort of go for a run or take the dog for a walk or go for a ride on the bike or anything no, like that? There's a lot no, of people I, do that. I find... I, I, I was having this conversation actually with my wife. I find that doing those things actually stresses me out more because I see it as taking time away from doing what I ultimately need to do. Okay. And so I'm quite I'm quite routined to the point where I do my exercise in the morning. And so yeah, that that just doesn't work for me. Stepping away doesn't work. I I'm I'm just have to work my way through problems. That's that's the way I tackle it. Okay. Okay. So tell me a simple pleasure that you have. Playing the guitar is, okay. is one. Good? So Bad? Okay? Um, I would say I'm okay. I would say I'm okay. Okay. So playing play music with others is definitely a, a pleasure. I was playing music this weekend with other people and I, I came away going, I feel great after that. So that's definitely a pleasure. I'm one of those people that sort of picks up too many hobbies. And then I, I struggle to pick which hobby I'm going to do okay. at the weekend or in my free time. So I like free diving, football, running, any any form of sport, guitar, like I mentioned, working away Guitar's on the house. Guitar's quite creative, isn't it? Guitar's quite creative. It's slightly different from sport and things, I would think. Yeah, I think what I like about it is you're never finished. You can never, you can't complete the guitar. You can always no. get better. You can always learn something new, learn a new song or a new genre or whatever it might be. So it's it's a lifelong learning instrument. Yeah. My son's a freelance musician. He's a guitarist. And when he left home, that was the one thing that I missed was hearing him play the guitar because he played the guitar every single day. Yeah. You know, from when he was, you know, teenager right through. And I did miss it. Occasionally, I would hear him sing, <laughs> which wasn't so good. What sort of music did he play? He well, he played ever and now he plays anything, anything and everything. He used to do um, wedding bands. He does Kayleys. He's he plays for groups. He plays for a musician called Horse. Have you heard of Horse? I haven't. No. She's a. Uh, a singer from Glasgow. She's quite well known. I'd never heard of her before he started playing for her. So he does gigs for her. He plays for other sort of bands as well. So he's he's quite sort of mixed. When he's playing for himself and with his friends and with his band, it, I would say it's indie style. Right. Though it changes. And they've just been away. They were away to Lewis recording their latest album. I think it's just a jaunt, actually. Absolutely, like brilliant. A jaunt. But, and he sounded, when I met him last week, it sounded like he had a great time, so. Brilliant. How do you find AI? Do you think it, it's something we should be worried about or is it something that you should be worried about in your industry? We're trying to embrace it, to be honest. So there's, we use it quite a bit. We're always testing it. We don't use it. We've never deployed it as a, tool or a process really in in what we do yet because we found in our testing that it doesn't beat humans in what we would want it to do so for things like copywriting for clients so writing their ads 
we've done tests where we've tested chat GPT versus human copy and the humans have always won. Yes. So we don't use it for that. I, I like to use it for things like if I've written a blog or an email or whatever it might be, I'll paste it in and ask it to check the grammar and the spelling and that sort of thing for me. And it's really useful for that. But I think there there probably there will come a time where it is better than humans. And so we're trying to just make sure that we're on on the edge of that to ensure that we we get the right when when the tipping point occurs, we're there and we're ready for it. And I think that agencies will have to change to the agencies will change because of this and that they'll have to focus on the things where a human brain is better than AI. So the key key one in our industry will be around strategy and strategic thinking and also creative. So filming, editing, producing, distributing high quality video content, for example, is where agencies will stand out. Whereas things like the copywriting AI will be able to do, campaign building AI will be able to do, Oh, we're already at a point now where in the last couple of years, if you build a campaign on Facebook, for example, it used to be the case where we would have to do a lot of the targeting research and drill down into the different individual interests that an audience of an audience. So if we're talking about a you know a marketing company, we'd have to research all the different marketing interests that Facebook offers to try and find the right ones. Whereas now, you can sort of just go broad and Facebook will find those audiences for you. So the AI or machine learning, whatever we want to call it inside Facebook, is already changing the job of agencies. And that's just going to continue. So we're we're trying to be on the edge and embrace embrace that change. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm trying to embrace it as well. And the only consolation that I get from it all is people will still want to work with people. Yeah, will still want the interaction. They will still want. It's like you know the phone calls that you get. You have to phone, and it's an automated, and you hate it, or you get a chat bot or something, and you. Well, I hate it. I would like to be able to phone up and speak to someone, and I. That's the only consolation I get. It's going to make a big difference to us. It's going to help us and make things a lot easier for us. But at the end of the day, they can't replace face-to-face interaction, I think. Yeah, agreed. And I mean, it's 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 coming in the accountancy industry as well. There's certain things that they can do now as well. And I think you just have to embrace it. So do you ever remember a time when you failed? Oh, all the time. I, I go back to the earlier story of the course and the membership. For me, some people might have seen that as a success because the membership grew, the course is sold. But for me, I saw that as a bit of a failure probably more in myself, of making the wrong decision. Why do you think it failed? Do you think it was the cost of the course? Or do you think? Well, the course, I mean, they did fine. They sold and they were a profitable business, but not to the level that I wanted it to. I think I made a, I made the wrong decision in business model there. And that, for me, I see as a failure because it was a couple of years that I could have been growing Yatter the agency as opposed to the course. Yeah, but that's hindsight, isn't it? Hindsight, is think. That is hindsight. Utter failures. I'm trying to think. I'm sure there's absolutely loads. I've maybe pushed them all to the back of my mind. Um, <laughs> I was going to say to you, what have you learned from them? 
Well, I mean, this is not a specific failure, but something that we that we do in the agency again, talking about processes, is if a client ever leaves us, it's obviously a sad, sad occasion. But we have created a a form within an internal form in the agency to have the account manager basically fill out a form of things like why did the client leave? What can we learn from this? Is there a process we could put in place to avoid this from happening again? Is there content that we could create to educate somebody so that this doesn't happen again? So we try and take any mistake or failure as a learning point. So I can't I can't think off the top of my head a, a, a specific failure, but one thing I'll say is any any problem or failure, I try and not worry about them too oh, much and instead yeah. focus on what can what can we learn and avoid and avoid um happening in the future. And do you accept all clients? So if a client came to you and you were talking to them and you were thinking, oh you know, I don't think I could work with this client. I think this client's going to be an absolute nightmare, would you still take them or do you no. say no to them? Yeah, we say we to be honest, we say no to quite a lot of clients for a number of reasons. Normally it'll be we generate quite a lot of leads through our own advertising. And a lot of the leads that come through are too small, so they don't have the budget um, to work with us. And, and the way that we figure that out is we've built calculators where we can basically say, you know, if you were to achieve our benchmarks of cost per click, et cetera, but your budget is X, you know, you wouldn't be making money with our fee on top. No. So in that case, we say, so we're not the right fit. So budget is a big one. If we get the sense that they're going to be a nightmare client, we'll also say no so if they've got red red flags because i've been there before when i've worked with clients and had nightmare clients and they just take over all brain space yeah they become um, vampires don't they i call them vampires yeah exactly it's a great great term it's just not worth it no. it's going to cause problems with the team and and productivity and then that then comes to me as a problem so although i'm not directly working on the account it still becomes a problem on yeah. my desk so yeah we we turn clients away all the time because also within our game it's it's black and white whether or not we're getting results for a client and so if we're not confident that we can get a client results we'll also say no because we don't want to reputation I suppose reputation we don't want to lose the money at the end of the day so it's safer for us to do that and I think that's a good lesson for all SMEs to learn is to say no and it's it's a difficult lesson because I think sometimes when you start up, you say yes to absolutely everything. And I, I think we've all done it because I've done it. I've heard the warning bells. I've been speaking to them and thinking, no, I don't think it's going to work. And I've still said yes and come to regret it. So I think that's a good lesson to learn. And I think it's a nice lesson to, le- to finish on. So I just want to say thanks very much, Gavin. It's been good to talk to you. I've been trying to get you for a while. I'm so glad I got you in the end. <laughs> Have you. a good few days off in Findhorn. Is it Findhorn you're yep. going? Yeah, up north. Enjoy the time with the, the wee one. I'm sure she's growing all the time. It's amazing how quickly they grow, how funny they get as well. They're such good fun. Such oh, good fun. She's smiling at things now, so it's, yeah, yeah. it's great fun. Yeah, it is. It's bliss. My wee girl is in Spain at the moment. They've taken her on holiday to Spain and I'm getting photographs of her in her swimming costume and things. It's just amazing. So thank you very much. Thank you, Susan. Thanks. Thanks.